Hello everyone at RFC. I hope everyone's doing okay today. Um, if you're seeing this in the morning, I'll be doing okay because hopefully I'm still in bed. And if you're seeing this in the evening, I'm probably thinking about a siesta. Uh, but hopefully you're not thinking about going to sleep just yet, or at least not for the next 20 minutes. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Laura Lee Lovering, and I was a member at RFC about 10 years ago, uh, after which I joined the Baptist Mission Society and came to northeastern Peru, which is where I am uh, still uh, to this day. Uh, but during all of that time, we kept links up with RFC, with you guys, uh, and you've supported me. I don't know if you're aware of that, but you have supported me. Um, and really, when Andy suggested that I might share a message, um, I thought, hey, why not? Why not? So I'm going to talk on a passage that Andy's given me, and it's an interesting one. Um, it's one of those passages that I think, you know, I'm not a pastor, but if I was, I guess, I'm not sure I'd, I'd have a warm and fuzzy feeling about this particular passage, um, but I wouldn't, but I know that I have to teach it sooner or later uh, if, if I'm really going to do justice to the full spectrum of teaching that Jesus and obviously the gospel writers uh, felt was necessary for his followers. And so the passage we're going to look at just now is from Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 27 to 36. Most Bibles um, put a title of Love Your Enemies uh, over this, uh, these two paragraphs. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So to summarize the words of centuries of theologians writing essays and PhD theses and devotional books and just sort of Christian books and blogs and podcasts, Jesus's teaching in these two paragraphs is super hard. Um, over the last two millennia, you could say that there's been everything except a consensus on exactly how how we're supposed to handle uh, this teaching. For example, historically in Catholicism, um, this was a sort of teaching that separated the properly spiritual, the properly religious, you know, the monks and the priests uh, from your average lay Christian. Uh, you know, you could get by 
as a, as a lay Christian, uh, not worrying too much about these passages. Uh, but if you really wanted to get that higher grade and uh, show that you had a higher calling, this was the kind of stuff you had to worry about. And then along came those Protestant reformers, uh, and they insisted, no, 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 all Christians have a higher calling. Great. Uh, one of these uh, was a guy called Martin, Martin Luther. And he initially took the view that it was precisely like the impossibility of being able to live out this teaching that made it uh, a great equalizer of humankind, because it basically showed that all of us were equally unable uh, to earn our salvation based on moral perfection. And therefore, all of us were equally in need of the grace of God. Then there was a different reformer, a guy called John, John Calvin. Uh, he took a slightly different view. Some people think it was a slightly less negative view. Um, but he basically reasoned that, yeah, it was still essentially impossible uh, by human effort alone, but it was made possible by grace through the work of the Holy Spirit working in and on you know, the heart of the humble believer. And then kind of Luther kind of comes around again and, and puts another perspective. And he says, the thing is, you know, when Jesus was giving this teaching, he wasn't giving it to politicians and lawmakers. He was just talking to normal people, people like you, people like me. So this teaching isn't about reforming the justice system. It's not about promoting the welfare state. It's just about your personal morality. How do you live your life um, in your, your individual ethics? Um, so... For example, say you're a judge, you know, you should continue to do your job well. You pronounce sentence over the criminals brought to you, but when you go home and you take off the judge garb, you're going to apply these different principles now to your kind of issues of personal morality. So, you know, society should continue to be just and seek justice, but as individuals, we actually have a kind of like a higher or at least a different set of rules to, to live by. And I guess I probably lean a bit towards this latter Lutheran view, but I think the point is that all of the all of the people that have commented on on this, all the theologians have commented on this, agree from one perspective or another that this is seriously challenging teaching. It's meant to challenge us. It's seriously difficult. So what does it actually say again? Uh, it says, "Love your enemies." Um, in fact, it says that twice. So we know this is really key teaching. Uh, it says, "Love your enemies and do good." So who is my enemy, you know? Or at least what sort of enemy is this passage talking about? Because otherwise this could be a really long 20 minutes. Uh, sadly, in our fallen world, there are many different types of enemy that a person could have. But thankfully, this passage does go on to define its terms. And it says that my enemies are those who hate me, those who curse me, those who abuse me. And my enemies demonstrate that they do these things by dishonoring me and by subjecting me to unjust treatment. Still quite a wide field, you might say. Uh, now let's consider, Jesus was a first century Jew, uh, talking to, initially, first century Jews. What was that like? Jewish culture we know then and now uh, is non-ashamed culture, as many cultures are worldwide, on a shame. And that means that they value relationship and the appearance of relationship through gestures of respect way more than they value, you know, honesty and absolute truth. Um, proving culture uh, is a bit like that. It has that tendency. Um, and I found that I actually was going to have to recalibrate almost my, my moral compass if I was going to be able to have uh, kind of meaningful friendships with people here because... For adults, between adults, you know, just lying to one another, just barefaced lying to one another, 
there's no bigger deal. You know, I'm not talking about kids or adolescents. I'm talking about grown adults uh, saying yes when you mean no and no when you mean yes um, really are not moral failings. Uh, the moral failing is when you tell the person to their face the yes or the no that you think that they don't want to hear because that's what jeopardizes the relationship. That is a way of failing to show proper respect. Now, in Jesus's time and culture, you know, the idea of slapping someone in the face was seriously dishonoring, um, and it brought shame on the person who was slapped. Uh, the Matthew Matthew's gospel, sorry, Matthew's gospel, kind of spells us out even more because the idea is that you're slapped on the right cheek, which means that the average right-handed person is going to have to use the back of the hand. And so this was like shaming to the power of ten. This is even worse. Um, and let's be clear, shaming someone isn't just kind of being a bit nasty or um, losing your temper with somebody. It's it's basically kind of talking to the core of their being, how little you respect them, how little you value them. Now, not only them, but by extension, almost to their family, possibly even to their community. Uh, and you're saying that it's not even worth pretending uh, to you. It's not even worth lying to you. I have so little value for you. So for Jesus's first hearers, you know, honor and shame are very real and even tangible kind of cultural um, attributes. Uh, the slapped person was legally entitled to compensation. But here, you know, Jesus is saying something that was, that is not only kind of bonkers, let's be honest, uh, for us now, but it was incredibly radical, completely countercultural in his own day. He's saying, you know, if someone wants to humiliate you in an honor and shame culture, if someone wants to humiliate you, don't worry about it. Let them. In fact, offer yourself up for some more. Uh, and don't even think about trying to justify yourself. Just let it go. This is unthinkable, right? <laughs> And then we get to the taking of the cloak and the tunic. So Old Testament teaching has this provision that a person should, uh, should never have to give up their cloak uh, for more than a day. Basically, if you're so poor that you've just got the one cloak and you need to take out a loan, um, and the only thing that you've got for security on that loan is your cloak, you can give in your cloak, but the money lender is considered righteous if he gives you your cloak back for the night because maybe you're so poor uh, that you need that cloak for your bedding. That that cloak is also your your duvet, um, and and God is defender of the poor, so you will be righteous if you you know have mercy on that poor person. But here Jesus is saying, I know you're entitled to your cloak. Yeah, you're totally entitled. You have every right to your cloak. But I'm saying, give it away. And while you're at it, <laughs> give up your shirt and trousers as well, because to give up your tunic literally meant you were going to walk off in your underwear, right? And in the UK now, um, you know, we don't, obviously we don't have an honor and shame culture. Um, but one thing we do like is our rights, right? Uh, and one such right which underpins our culture, really, or our cultural worldview, is the right to private property, right? Um, to be able to say, you know, this is mine, uh, is legally enshrined in our culture. Um, you know, nobody should be allowed uh, to walk off with my stuff or oblige me to give them what's mine, you know, just because they want it or because they need it. And if someone walks off with my stuff, I'm gonna go and get it back, right? I have every right to go and get it back. Well, apparently, according to this passage, the answer is uh, no, actually. Uh, we may have the, the legal or the moral right, but here we're being told to forego, we're, we're being told to forego those rights. You know, here in the jungle, um, 
the words borrow and give are kind of used interchangeably, uh, which is one of the things I had to learn very quickly. Uh, the golden rule is, I mean, seriously golden rule, do not, do not lend anything that you cannot lose or can't afford to, uh, to, to replace. Um, and that's serious. Um, not only is that serious, but the concept that there is a point at which you can't afford to replace that. And that's, that is also important to know. If we're good administrators of our home, good administrator of our goods, especially if you're a parent in a family. Um, when John the Baptist, for example, is asked, what then shall we do by the people who he's baptizing in the, in the River Jordan? Um, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. This is Luke 3, I think. Um, and one of the first things he says is, well, you know, if you've got two tunics, uh, go and give to the person who hasn't even got one, who's got zero. Okay, simple. If you have two, or if you've got more than you need, be prepared to share it with the person who hasn't got anything, who's got less than they need. And in the middle, that means, you know, if I've just got the one tunic, then um, I'm not obliged to give it to the person who's got zero because then I'm the person with zero and then am I going to go back and ask to borrow that tunic back and you know is it going to go that would be making a mockery I think of the heart of this teaching the idea is that you know what you need and if you're blessed to have more than that great be prepared to share it be prepared to give it away thing is in the west we're not that good at properly judging perhaps we have an inflated idea of what it is that we actually need versus what we quite like to have so so here, when I first came to Peru, I was a volunteer, um, and I was essentially self-funded, 99% um, self-funded. Uh, so I knew that meant I was going to be two and a half years, kind of at least, uh, without a salary. And by the grace of God, I had money and savings and whatnot, and um, I had just enough. And I knew, okay, this is what I've got. I have to make it. I have to make it last. This has to last. Uh, but then when I got here, uh, everyone else just sees like a rich foreigner turn up, a rich foreigner who's probably not going to be here for very long. And the fact is, there were days when it felt like they were making a queue, a queue at the door. Uh, and they've all got their story. You know, for one of them, it's a mum whose baby is sick and she can't afford any medicine. For another, it's, you know, her husband's just had an accident with a chainsaw. And, you know, they've all got the story and they've all got a need. Um, and I know where I am. I know why I'm in Loreto. Loreto, this region of Peru, is categorized as being you know, poor and, and, and seriously poor. Uh, so that's why I'm here. But on the other hand, I'm also quickly learning about the whole honesty thing and how people here are excellent opportunists and they're used to kind of well-meaning foreigners coming in feeling bad and just give them, giving them stuff. Um, so what did I do? What was my solution? Because, you know, I'm seeing all of that, but I've also read the Bible. So I sat down and I redid my budget and I decided like, what can I live on and what can I give away? And once I had what I could give away, to be honest, I just stopped worrying about the stories. I just said, I'm not gonna judge them. The Lord will judge them if it's true or if it's not, if the amount they're asking for is even reasonable or not. Um, this is what I can give and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, just gonna give. Um, and it made me feel so much better. <laughs> Um, you know, I have broken the rule. I have broken the rule. Sorry. Um, at times, I do sometimes go over budget, um, but it's still been a really useful principle to have uh, to know I can give this amount away, um, and I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry about whether this person deserves it or not. Um, I'm going to let God worry about that. 
So, okay, let me get to the second paragraph. The second paragraph of this passage. And essentially God here is just reiterating the point that he's calling us to be different, right? Like seriously different. Um, Jesus calls us to live to a much higher standard than just being nice to people who are nice to us. Um, the world does that. We're called to be something even kind of even better, even more holy than that. And the point is we can't escape also the fact that Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he or his father haven't uh, and are not still in fact doing themselves. You know, um, God Almighty is still kind to the unmerciful and the evil. Um, our, our world is full of sin, but it's also full of God's natural grace as well, if, if we're honest. You know, the sun really does shine equally on the evil and the good. Uh, and then there's Jesus, you know, then there's the cross. Um, what gives what gives Jesus the right to tell me to love my enemies? Well, apart from the fact that he's a creator and he created me, um, it's the fact that he's done it. He practices what he preaches. Romans 5 verse 8, you know, well-known verse. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us you know jesus endured humiliation and brutal physical torture um for me for me whilst i was still in sin which is why i guess i come to the conclusion that you know this passage is about me and my ego it's not a comment on the penal system or whatever country we live in it's not about setting out principles for social development projects um it's not propaganda for the welfare state it's about me and my ego. How important am I to myself? How far am I willing to go to get the respect I think I deserve? You know, if you're anything like me, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm actually still pretty important to me too. You know, I cringe and I can even get a bit indignant uh, if I see uh, the media parodying Jesus or the Father of the Holy Spirit, but it'll seriously bug me for days if I think someone is taking the mickey or belittling me. And please don't understand me, you know, I'm aware that maybe you're sitting there and um, some really bad stuff might have happened to you in your life. You know, human beings can be inhumane to one another. I guess if that wasn't the case, um, we wouldn't need this teaching. And yet the Bible tells us that the answer to all that violence, whether it's physical or psychological, isn't actually a catastrophic flood. You know, judgment and vengeance. Uh, it's actually a plan, a long game for salvation. So we have to hold on to that. Love your enemies and do good. In other words, don't let evil win. You know, the Apostle Paul says it in his own words brilliantly in Roman, Romans 12, 14 to 21. So I'm just going to finish by reading that passage. Romans 12, 14 to 21. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never revenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
brothers and sisters, um, this is a seriously hard teaching, how to love your enemies. And I think rather than try and dissect that and think, well, this is how you can do it, and this is how you're going to do it, and this is how you're going to feel, or this is what you're going to do, if we can at least take home the message that our role as light and salt in the world is that we are to overcome evil with good by the grace of God. Thanks, everybody. God bless you all. Bye-bye.